Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Tiger Pops. And today we are here with Hope and Patty doing episode five. Hope and Patty, let's hear your introduction. Um, hi, I'm Hope. Um, I am an avid lover of Midnight Poppy Land. I am probably older than I want to be, but younger than I feel. Um, I've been a incredible fan of Webtoons for a while. And when um, Midnight Poppy Land was introduced, I um, devoured it right away. I'm a mom and a former legal assistant. I live in Maryland. I love reading and art. I paint. Um, I write. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Hope, and thanks for joining us today. It's and my Patty, pleasure. you've been on the floor, so let's hear, hear from you again. All right. Um, hi, all. Uh, I'm Patty, and I have uh, been on the podcast before, so I'm so excited to be here again. Um, Episode five is one of my favorite episodes, so I'm excited to dissect this. Um, also, um, I am—I didn't mention this last time, but I live in the state of Oklahoma, and I am 35, married, have two fur babies, and that's about it. Um, in terms of things I like to do for fun, obviously, like Midnight Poppy Land is is part of my life now. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy lots of different webtoons now, but I was definitely late to the webtoon game. Um, also, um, avid concert goer, loved, loved to listen to music. You all know that I have a thing for, um, a thing for my playlists on Spotify, but, um, th that's the kind of stuff that I do in my free time. I love to read. I love to write. Um, and that's, that's pretty much all you need to know about me. <laughs> thank you thank you patty yeah and i've introduced myself before but you know mindy just turned 31 two kids married um doing an mba in the business world and yeah also definitely a creative person at heart so art writing i write poetry sing music compose music all that stuff. and midnight happy line has definitely taken over like the creative side of my life right now <laughs> but we're good so episode five, uh, we're so excited to get into this. So episode five right now. So we walk in. This is our first introduction to Torah's life. I mean, it's not our first introduction, but it's where we see it in person. So it starts out, we um, we see this assembly, this meeting in a very posh room, very elegant, you know, classic furniture. Everybody is wearing suits, you know, around a big wooden table, very formal. And the center is on this guy who we first see with his back turned to us. He's wearing, you know, like a more fancy suit than everybody else. He has some alcohol in his hand. He's got this gorgeous woman, you know, scantily dressed at his side. Obviously, what's the word again? Eye candy or like arm candy? Arm candy. Yes, definitely arm candy. Arm candy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, right away, this gives us an indication. Like, she's not there necessarily for her personality or her contributions other than the physical. I, that's my suspicions. <laughs> And um, I'm kind of curious yeah, what more we'll see with her. to accent him. Right. Yeah, it's all about him. Yep. And Indeed. I, I also find it interesting that at first we don't really get a face on her. 
um, until later on when she's speaking in the episode, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> that's like a sign, like is her personality, is her face important? Is her individuality important? So, yeah. You know, she's just a pretty body. Yep. Yeah. Um, I also find it, it's really interesting and I'll talk a little bit about this as we get further along in the episode. Um, but I, I found it really interesting, the warm uh, tone of the colors in here. Mm. And it, it, it struck me because usually when Lily is depicting something that's dark or um, sinister, that it's more blue toned or green toned. Yeah, this is, this is really warm. And uh, it is interesting to see. You're right. It has the, the warm uh, autumn tones. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm wondering, like, is that is that the Baltimore facade, right? Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Because, like, when when Tora pops in, you know, he he kicks the door open, he tosses the dudes in, and then we see behind him. If you look behind the door, um, just looking at the color tones back there, <laughs> it just really <sighs> struck me the second time around reading this, and I was like. Oh, that's the dark underbelly. This is all a facade. Yep. And we know when um, when Poppy looks up the Baltimore organization a little bit later, she doesn't find any negative information, really. She sees mostly positive information because <clears throat> they put up a front of this, you know, legit organization. Right. Well, because that boardroom looks just like the law firm I worked at. <laughs> mm-hmm. That looks like a conference room I- when we've had meetings. Oh, yeah, well, and everybody's dressed in suits. Yeah, so. I mean, that's their facade. And definitely. Like when Tora comes in, so Tora is wearing um, street clothes and he's all covered in blood and he's sweating. And this guy, you know, you see this guy slamming his hand down on the table with these fancy rings and yelling at him, Tora. And, you know, why are you barging in dressed like that? <clears throat> Show some respect to clan members. So... You know, this is uh, we see that like everybody's expected to show up dressed a certain way and with respect. And if they don't show that respect, they get addressed and, you know, potentially punished. Yeah. And I think I think it also shows, you know, because I, I know that that for Torah, this is more of an act of rebellion for him. But also, I think it sets him apart from the other clan members. Like, yes, he's part of the clan, but you can tell immediately with the way that he's treated. And the disrespect that he has shown, even though the work that he does is so, quote, pivotal mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. clan business, that they they all look at it like, look at their faces when he enters. Insane. Like, you've got Insane. background freaking out. You've got Shark and Claude just giving him, you know, the stink eye. Mm-hmm. Look at him with disdain. Yes. Right, which is very strange. Yes. You know, Another thing I noticed, by the way, that I see both Martin's hand, his um, his bracelet is a chain link, and then the woman has chains around her neck and her arms as well, which to me is just symbolic of like the chains that they're all in being part of this clan. Absolutely right. So, yeah, absolutely right. And he, Martin, of course, he calls him out and says, "What the hell are you doing? You know, you know, show some respect and uh, calling him out." Right, and then you see Vincent. Now you see where Tora gets treated differently. Tora, uh, Vincent steps up and he defends Tora and he says, you know, he doesn't mean any disrespect. I've trained him since he was a child and done rather a good job myself. So like we're already, you know, uh, with this, this pose that he's giving us 
arms thrown back, leg up, very relaxed, very like dominant pose, you know, having the alcohol in his hand, clearly not intimidated or by anything, at least in this, in this episode. And, Mm -hmm. um, so you're already at like your, our hackles are up. What kind of training did he give him that a man like this give him? Yes. Yeah. You, You really have to wonder. And, and just the smug look of indifference on Vincent's face. Well, it's almost like this is, this is a Tuesday for him. It's almost like Vincent is amused by it all. He enjoys Mm -hmm. seeing all the other men, uh, put out by Tora and he enjoys seeing Tora rattle them. And then he stands up and says, Oh, it's fine. I raised Tora to be like this. In fact, yeah, in it, fact, he's my favorite creation. Right. Yeah. So it's it's where he can take ownership and he can, um, you know, claim claim um, claim that that he's the reason that Torah is this way and that he's done a good job. Everything is in relationship to Vincent's ego. It's all manipulation and control and and power. It's it's ultimate narcissism. Everything relates back to him. Right. Yep. We see this right away. So Vincent asks, you know, hey, gentlemen, tell me what's going on here. And Tora is showing us his violence right away. He kicks the the purple here, dude, purple-ish, purple-gray, and, you know, kicks him in the face, causes him to bleed. And Vincent's, you know, like, don't kill them all before I, I hear what they have to say, which is showing you, you know, Tora generally does kill people for him. That's what it seems like. Yeah. And I mean, look at his eyes here. Like, the whole time that Tora has, has stepped into this room, his eyes just look, you know, like he's dead inside. Like he's checked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I've noticed that a lot, you know, throughout the episodes when he is in that work mode. You know, his facial expressions go almost blank as if he's like, okay, I'm on autopilot right now. I mean, he's still covered in these guys' blood, um, and he's standing right next to his boss, who, you know, we we can glean a little bit that he and his boss don't have the best of a relationship. Well, um, and when you look at Vincent, he has that um, malignant smile on his face uh-huh. that he is just sadistically enjoying this, and meanwhile, Tora looks just gutted. You know, he is yeah. not enjoying this at all. He's going through the motions because this is the role he's been forced into, clearly. And right. um, he's just doing what he's got to do. But meanwhile, Vincent is savoring this. Yeah, that's really sick. And we see, like, the other clan members, even though they, they, they're not used to seeing such displays of uh, violence in front of their eyes often. Because they, you know, they talk about it and they're like, oh, never, you know, have you never seen Big bro Tora go at it before. He's a goddamn beast. So showing us that even those clan members, they're, they might be like maybe like paper pushers kind of people, but they're not doing the actual violence. Yeah. Right. Well, and then it also tells me like Smithy, he says, yeah, he's seen this before, but that every time he sees it, it's still shocking to him. Um, and thinking about this in the context of the episodes that we've already read you know, when I think about this, is is this piece here foreshadowing how Poppy might feel when she discovers mm-hmm. Tora's violence? You know, because she's not used to that. She hasn't been exposed to that. And if she sees it out of context and out of understanding of what he might be doing, 
it, it makes me think like, what would she say or think about that? That is a really yeah. good point. And then he mentions like, now that Mr. Baltimore is involved, those two street thugs are basically done for, which, you know, again, shows us that Mr. Ba Vincent Baltimore is known for being merciless. Absolutely. Yeah, those guys are as good as dead. <laughs> yeah. So they're defending themselves and saying, we have nothing to do with this. We've only received orders from a man named Shane. And, you know, let's all try to remember that name because we we assume that there is something, something uh, involved with that. A hidden, a hidden character. <laughs> I'm sure that'll come back up in the future. Yes. Yeah. Everything I wonder if he's connected to uh, one of the rival clans. I imagine he would be. Yeah. Right. So they're like, oh, you know, we'll we'll give you his contact information if you let us go. Desperate attempt at preserving their life. And Vincent flashes out. He reaches inside his suit jacket. So he has the stuff on him all the time. Within his fancy, you know, exterior veneer of the suit, he has a murderous weapon. Again, like outside, respectable. Inside, disgusting. Yeah. And this fancy knife. So even his murder weapon is ornate and decorated and and beautiful. He likes his things to be beautiful. And I think it's interesting also that he has a knife and he doesn't have a gun. Because yeah. if, if you think about it, it's um, it's a much more personal weapon. And you have to get up close to whoever you're using it against. So um, like you were saying earlier, Hope, that really makes me think that he, he is that sadistic and he does savor this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, the next panel is pretty graphic. Tora is holding down this guy's head and Vincent lifts his throat while he's begging for mercy. Yeah. I, I want to point out in this panel, and this is this is what I, this was the point in the series where I was like, okay, Lily is not fucking around. Yeah, she is. She's not holding any stops here, you know. Because sometimes you get implied violence in comics and whatnot because of the PG thirteen rating, but I was like, oh damn, she went there. Um, and and at the same time, like one of the things that gets me a lot about this particular scene and maybe I'm overanalyzing it but with Tora's foot on this guy's shoulder and Vincent's down below actually doing the dirty work for once um but we see that the blood splatters on Tora's shoe and so you know it, it kind of gives me this this idea of again Tora being a tool that really Vincent is the person who is the perpetrator, but at the same time, Tora has to be the enforcer. He has to be the the muscle, if you will. Um, and that he's the one who ends up with blood on his hands rather than Vincent. Because you see further on in, in the later panels, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but like Tora is uh, the one covered in blood. Vincent hasn't a drop on him after doing something like that. He, wow. you know, he's sitting there cleaning his knife and whatnot, casually talking about how he just killed these two guys and trying to find the notebook. Um, but it's just interesting to me that, you know, even though Tora was not the one who killed these two guys, that he is still the one with blood on him because of that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that Vincent has the burgundy handkerchief and just as yeah. happens to be able to just wipe the blood casually mm -hmm. off his hands and tuck it away. No sign of the crime. No sign of the violence. Meanwhile, Tora's covered in it. Yeah. 
he bears the marks of it. He bears the emotional brunt of what's happening. Whereas Vincent's like, meh, no big deal. I'm a sadist. Yeah. I don't care who I kill. But we know Tora. Tora hates what he's doing. Tora's bearing the brunt of it. And, you know, yeah. he's been forced into this. Yeah, there's there's definitely an air of that here. And, and just how, like, calm and collected Vincent is throughout this whole scene is just chilling to me. And then again, like the further down we go and we're, we're looking at them dragging the bodies away again, the veneer with the underbelly of like what really goes on and that we only get, um, an intersection between the two when it's necessary. So uh, I, I found it really interesting that those two thugs, they died within the, the facade, mm-hmm. but then they're very quickly dragged back into the underbelly. And and shoved under the rug, if you will. Two two bodies and like the, the blonde one doesn't necessarily like we don't see anything happening to him in the panels, but we're right. assuming that he killed him too. Right. Either that or he's barely you know, going to be killed momentarily. Yeah. It's it's not gonna be that long. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Smithy throws up and he can't handle the violence. And you know, and one of the other clan members is like tapping him on the back. So obviously like this is a complicated thing because within you know, in general, I know I'm not like a, I've never read much psychology literature about the clans, gangs, etc. But within they they've established this this group, right? And every group has its loyalty and like the caring and concern about the group members. So the clan, they're not, you know, every they're showing unconcern to their out the people who are outside of their group and they don't care about their lives. But within the group, they do show some concern for each other, at least this young man and Smitty, you know, patting Smitty on the back. So I think that's something that is, it's pretty, like, it's pretty basic human psychology that the people within within our group, even if it's like a murderous evil group, there is a connection between them. And then they disassociate and anyone outside the group is unworthy of respect or regard for human life, et cetera. I've, right. heard, a, I've heard a term, and I don't know if it's a psychological term, but it's called monkey sphere. Like, basically, everyone within that group is who you care about. And is who who is human to you and who matters to you. And everyone outside that group is irrelevant. And that is, yeah. and their humanity is completely irrelevant to you. And you just don't care. And that is how people don't care about other people. And they literally only care about people like in their family or in their extended neighborhood or that kind of thing. And that is how people uh, blind themselves to things around them. And, you know, and that's probably how gangs work. And things of that nature. They yeah. really like care to have their small unit. Right. Yeah, it's something, you know, um, I think about that a lot in terms of the genocides that occur all over the world and like yeah. the ability to completely, completely tone out um, the person in front of you and disregard because, them. Yeah, it's because it's it, I, the term, I, I you can Google it, it's called a monkey sphere where you just focus on your small unit and that's all that matters and you just check out about the other humanity around you and it, it's it's crazy but it's a it's a thing that actually happens and I've wondered about that because we have neighbors that are these really nice people and they're super nice to us but they have beliefs that are completely the antithesis of what we believe in and they don't care about other people and I'm like how can they be so nice to us when they don't care about specific other people in the world and it's so weird to us you know, that they can be so nice to us, but not care about other people in the world. And it's so strange. And I guess that's that's the same psychology that goes on with like people in gangs 
or people who don't care about like, you know, genocides or war or those kind of behaviors. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a big element of survival mode in these types of groups. So, you know, depending on the level at which you are within a gang or within a clan or, um, even, even like the military structure, which is what I'm most familiar with, um, you, you tend to, you have to compartmentalize, you have to, um, you have to shrink your world almost just to be in that survival mode and and to, to make it through. And so the larger world around you matters less because your, your plate is too full. Like, so for example, you know, in, in this scene where we're talking about one clan member caring for another, you know, they, they don't care about the two men that they just dragged off because again, they are considered other and they're actually hurt them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's an us versus them kind of thing. Right. Right. Okay, so now Vincent asks Tora about the notebook. And, you know, to me, it's telling that he asks Tora about the notebook rather than, you know, bringing it up with, with the rest of the clan. It shows, indicates his reliance on Tora and his reliance only, honestly, on his knowledge of what's going on in the streets and his intelligence. He's, I think that he, he recognizes he's not just, um, this is where he shows us that he's not just a muscle. So yeah, he's saying that's very true. He's, he's, and I think he's doing a lot of manipulation here. Um, what really struck me, you know, he calls Tora's son and he's, you know, got his arm around him and is, you know, talking to him in a very cordial manner, which I find is, it's really interesting because for somebody that's, you know, his, his muscle, this person that he relies on to do the dirty work, it, you wouldn't expect somebody like Vincent to call him son. Right. Well, and it's like he, he makes him feel so special, and it's like this—it's it, such a—it's such a grooming behavior. You are the mm-hmm. only man who can talk to me this way and get out yeah. alive. You're so special to me, you know. And look how much I trust you, and look how much I rely on you. And it's like he, he builds him up and lets him know how special he is, and then puts all this burden on him. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Torah's Torah's response is very, and you see, I see it very much as like a, like a facade he puts on. He mm-hmm. slouches away from Vincent as though he doesn't care. He starts taking out his, his cigarettes and smoking indoors, you know, a sign of disrespect. And it's kind of like, he wants to show that he doesn't care about Vincent and that he doesn't right. need him. And he's not intimidated by him. Yep. Well, and I think, I, I don't want to go up too far, but I think as we see is, He's distancing himself from Vincent and uh, he's trying to make a break or at least that's something recent. Yeah. He, um, you can definitely tell by his body language that this is, he's not comfortable. Um, And I find it interesting too, that it looks like Vincent kind of has him cornered um, when you notice that, and, and you'll see this in later episodes, but, the body language that Tora exhibits in front of Vincent is very like, I'm trying to keep my distance from you. And and if you close in on me, I'm going to close my body language to you. Like it, it says very much get away. Don't touch me kind of thing. Right. Right. So in this next panel, right. So um, Vincent says he wants to leave the notebook research to Martin and his boys. Shark. I thought you, how do you pronounce the name? Shark? Sharsh? Uh, yeah, I think it's shark. Shark. Okay. Shark and Claude. Right. And those are the two young guys. 
next to Martin, who is maybe in his 50s. And then yeah. he asks Tora to lead to it. And then we find out that Tora is a bodyguard to Quincy, which, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll learn more about Quincy, Quincy later. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> I know Quincy just Quincy. puts a smile on the face and you just see this. <laughs> We're all just grinning like loons. Yes. yes. <laughs> Dear readers, you will get there and we promise it will be worth it. <laughs> It'll be so worth it. Mm-hmm. So Vincent, you know, here again with psych- psychological manipulation, Vincent asks Tora to stop smoking, stop killing your lungs. You might not have much regard for your life, but I need you healthy and strong. Which again, it's sad that even Vincent knows that Tora doesn't care about his old life because he's not in control of his own life, right? Non-perceptive, yeah. non-caring Vincent has the acuity to realize that about Tora. Super sad. And what does Tora do? Just keeps uh-huh. on smoking. Great, like, no, I don't care. And in response to Vincent asking him to go look for the notebook, he does another power play while he's exhaling, lifts his head up, doesn't look at Vincent in the eye and says, give me a pay rate. Yep. He's keeping it very transactional. And I think that's another way that Taurus separates himself from the clan um, because the rest of them might act like brothers, like they care about each other. But I get the feeling that Torah keeps to himself just based on this body language here and like, Give me a pay raise. This is a job. Stop calling me son. Right. Do you guys that the other people in the clan, other than these suits, call Tora big bro, but these mm-hmm. suits seem disrespectful to him, but the other guys, like the street guys, say he's Yeah, big the way bro. that they say it is more endearing. Yeah. That's true. He probably, I think, you know, Tora probably always has a heart more for the for the little guys. And doesn't have any respect for authority or for people who don't treat other people well, right? right. And we know that he he likes to he thinks people are beyond their exterior, right? So probably the little guys who don't get respect and who get stepped on all the time, he's more compassionate to them than the big guys who can boss other people around and think they're so special. So anyway, so Vincent, you know, claps Tora on the shoulder again, a sign of seeming affection, but contradicting the way that he treats him in general. And Tora gives him this very Again, it's a deadpan look, but it's like, uh, okay, I know you don't really care about me. Stop with your foolish and, you know, gratuitous fake symbols of affection. Well, it's almost like, dude, stop touching me. Yeah, he's he's got the, the death stare on him. Yep. And then Vincent asks him to join a lunch celebration for tomorrow. He says, I insist you join. Again, I think, you know, dom- reasserting his dominance. And telling him to put a suit on and don't go walking around dressed like this. And how does Tora respond? Doesn't turn his face. He's about to step out of the room. I'll think about it. I have a cult to nurse. Slams the door. He just love it. He's not having it. He's annoyed. He wants to get the hell out of there. Yeah, and I think it's a very delicate balance between him and Tora and Vincent. Because Tora knows that Vincent does have the power. But Mm -hmm. he wants to, as much as he can, he wants to assert his own independence. Most definitely. Yeah, it just... He, like like we've talked about before in the way that he dresses and the way that he carries himself, how it keeps everything very transactional between him and Vincent. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, and we'll see this in later episodes, but there's a lot of dominance and power plays here that it's, it's kind of a tit for tat. Um, and I think there's, there's some sick part of Vincent that enjoys that. Interesting. Other people just pay him look through this and do what he says. And this is somebody who actually, can respond back to him. Right. Him back. Remember he said earlier in the episode, you know, you're the only one who can speak to me like that and still be alive. 
So that tells me that Vincent knows what uh, Torah is worth to him. Uh, but that I, I think I think there's some part of him that enjoys that sparring piece because nobody else does that with him. You can tell. Right. And the so the blonde lady, um, I candy. I don't know what her name is. <laughs> she now finally has a face. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a made up face. She's beautiful as, as we would expect. And, you know, she is just swirling her alcohol around nonchalantly again in very big contradistinction to the violence that just occurred, completely uncaring. Her alcohol is more important. And, you know, she kind of like laughs and says, what a difficult underling you have, darling. I don't know why anyone would call Vincent darling, but whatever. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, well, I wouldn't take that as being a sincere term of endearment. Again, she's very much arm candy. Um, you know, I know that there's been some talk like, is this woman Quincy's mother or not? I, I'm going to say no, um, just yeah, based on how young she is. But also, you know, it's it's not uncommon for um, mob leaders and gang leaders to have multiple women at their side. Like, we haven't seen anything of Mrs. Balchman, so I guess we'll we'll find out what happened to her. Yeah. People's parents are like a big a big deal in this in this comic. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, Vincent acknowledges that he's a handful, but he says that boy's loyalty to me is second to none, which very curious about that statement and how much he really understands Torah. Yeah, I I don't buy that as much. You know, I think one, one of the things that we have seen, even in these early episodes, is that Torah kind of paints himself as this guy who doesn't know much that, oh, I'm just the muscle or I'm I'm just the guy who, who does the dirty work. Um, and you know, Vincent, you know, if you, if you do that, you, you make yourself less, um, suspicious in clans like that, because then people think you're loyal. You're, you're the dumb loyal thug. Mm -hmm. And the best way to survive is to stay under the radar. Um, you have her saying, you know, Torah's distancing herself from the clan affairs you know, and meanwhile, Vincent's saying, you know, he's so loyal to me. I think we've got that dichotomy going on um, that I think Torah's got a lot more going on than anybody realizes. You know, right. he's he's staying under the radar. But um, and, and as we've seen with his uh, physical behavior, um, his body language, he is definitely distancing himself in in every way, you know, emotionally, physically. Um, behavior wise and um, yeah he may be look uh, Vincent may think he's loyal but I think uh, things are are obviously changing from what they were I think Vincent um, may be a little too full of himself here right. yeah oh most definitely his his ego is clouding his judgment and I find it's it's really funny that the arm candy is the one who's questioning uh, Tora's loyalty and Vincent is the one he's he's so smug about how he trained Tora that he's like there's no way he would he would betray me there's no way that he would go behind my back and and I'm like how dumb are you <laughs> you have no idea yeah he's blinded by his own, his own confidence and the way he wants things to be which probably will be his downfall yes <laughs> yep that's his Achilles heel it's yeah it's and typical narcissist mm-hmm most definitely. Um, right. Can't why anyone would not want to be around him, serving him all the time. 
And yeah, and you see, you know, his this last like chilling line from that scene is he just looks looks at the camp frame and says, "Any dog that goes against orders of its owner will be shot," and the dog oh. loses. So that's how he for all his building him up and saying, you know, you're the only one who can talk to me this way and you're so special, he views him as a dog. Right? Oh, that just that just kills me. Because then that's how it just confirms how it's all garbage. You know, my son, you're so special, you're the only one who can talk to me. And in the end, it's just he's a dog. Right. And um, oh, one of the things that we talked about, um, with a bunch of my online friends, like especially after this piece came out about him referring to Torah as a dog, that Balchaman crest on his neck, that's like a dog collar. It's, it's like a dog yeah. tag and it says, I own you. And, and it just, Oh God, it just took my levels of disgust for Vincent that much further. He's, He's a piece of work. Um, so kudos to Lily for creating this crazy and just totally sadistic villain. It just it's perfect characterization. Yeah, because I just I revolt against him. <laughs> he's a fabulous villain. Yeah. So I think going on to the next panel, I think that from a from an authorial perspective, Lily did something very clever here. So we've just witnessed Tora being involved in this act of incredible brutality and violence. And I think it's pretty normal for many readers to then get disgusted by Tora and maybe, you know, feel distant from Tora and repulsed by Tora's behavior. And this last line of Vincent just reaffirms the fact that Tora has no choice in this. And then this next um, flashback that we'll see Tora having gives us an understanding of why he is like this and why he continues to do this. And I think that that was something that Lily did intentionally to create sympathy for Torah and make sure that we understand that um, he has a little, very little choice in his life. Yeah. I, I thought it was, yeah, it really is. And if you think about it, that the, the next panel that it pans to is his brand new shoes covered in blood and they're white shoes of all things. And, you know, we, you know, we see later on in the episode that he's wearing darker clothing, but um, I just, I mean, I found it really interesting that, you know, it, it just really demonstrates that, you know, he could be the purest person on the inside, but he is tainted by this work that he has to do. And even right. standing there with the sunlight right. and blood speckled over him, he's wearing this white shirt and he's gazing off almost like he's dazed. And it's this vision of him where he clearly doesn't want this. And it's, right. this, it's the symbolism of he has this light inside of him, but he's also trapped in these shadows. Right. And he's very right. alone here. Like you can feel the loneliness in this panel. And then he cups his face. Yeah. He's only got himself to um, comfort him. Like he has no one else to comfort him when he has to deal with this kind of stuff. And we see in those next panels where we go into the flashback mode that again, he's alone. He has to comfort himself. Oh. Yeah. And this is where I guess really, really crazy, you know, so we see yeah. little baby Torah. He's a, I estimate he's oh. around five, five, six, and he's stuck yeah. in this narrow cage under underground, dirty, all alone, nothing there, like hard concrete. There's no food, there's no blanket, nothing. And there's these bars above him. 
and we hear a young Vincent telling him, look at all the trouble you've caused at school, which again, any kid from a traumatized background is of course going to cause trouble at school. Like, right. Uh, this is again, this is yeah. like, I told Hope, you know, I see like my husband's uh, story here, sad. But um, yeah, of course, like there was always trouble at school because when you have, your life is in havoc, you can't focus at school. And Vincent's telling him, you're going to stay there until I get back from my vacation as punishment. So like, this is just like throwing, you know, salt on his wounds, right? Not only does he seem to abuse him all the time, but now he can't go on vacation with the family. And tell him before I leave to our boy, are you scared of being down there on your own? This is just such, such evil to treat a little kid like that. When I saw this for the first time, you know, I mean, you guys know what I do for a living. So this is this was really, really hard for me to to read. But I think it gives us so much insight into Tora's background and why he does what he does and why he keeps himself separate. Because if he tries to show who he is, if he tries to have those feelings, you know, he'll be rejected for it at at the very least. And reprimanded for it at most because we see in these later panels he's like are you scared are you crying you know why are you hiding your face and and then we see in that panel little baby tora he's just i mean he's obviously bawling but then he has to show this fierce side of himself um and he has to lie about how he's feeling and thinking um and so you know when when i talk in my work about you know, where, you know, one of the questions I usually will ask my clients is like, where did you learn to not, where did you learn that it was unsafe for you to feel? Where did you learn that it was unsafe for you to, to express how you felt? And this was that moment for Torah. He, you know, he's basically being told by Vincent, I have no use for cowardly children. I have no use for you to cry, for you to feel. You're not allowed to do this. And it just, it broke my soul. I'm not going to lie. This yeah, one hurt. I come from a traumatic background. I, my family was pretty abusive. And in therapy, uh, the term that I really learned was ambivalence. You know, and yeah. what he's experiencing are two very competing emotions. He's terrified, but he's telling him he's not scared. He's sobbing yeah. in fear and rejection and terror, but he's, claiming and decrying and telling himself and Vincent, I'm not scared, you know, two very competing emotions. And, um, and, and that it it basically divides your psyche and your emotions and you shut down and um, because you can't function in two divided places. And um, so you shut down inside and um, it's a very difficult way to live. And so he moves forward and becomes this grown man who's shut down. Um, he goes through life in shutdown mode, you know, and if I show who I really am, if I show my true emotions, I'll be rejected. If I show who I really am, if I show what I really feel, I'll be, um, you know, punished. I mean, he's literally being tortured in a kennel that is made yeah. of dogs. Like a puddle next to him, he's not being taken care of. Right. His clothes are dirty. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, based on his, based on the way Tora looks, like, how long has he been down there already? It's awful. Um, that that no. image just kills me. Right, and then you see, like, in contradistinction, Lily does this great contrast. You know, Tora's sitting there dirty in the dirt and in the puddle, and then you see him looking through the bars, and Vincent's there, and he's looking gorgeous. 
and his, the sky is blue. He's blonde. He's he's smiling while he's telling this kid this. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you know oh. he has a life. Of, Vincent has freedom and all the power and all the joy and the happiness. And Tora is stuck there, being miserable and imprisoned. And we see here again, he tried to escape. Vincent says, if you try to escape again, you know what will happen to you. Who knows what happened to Tora? Oh, my God. I don't want to know right. what happened when you escape. Well, and then we hear Quincy, who's just like, Dad, you know, where are you? What are we doing? And, hey, where, where's Tora? I want him to come to the beach. You know, so Quincy doesn't get what's happening. He doesn't even understand. And he's like, bummer. Tora's not coming. You know, so obviously Tora and Quincy are friends, but he doesn't realize what his dad's doing to him. Right. I, I think this also tells us very much so that um, Vincent shelters Quincy from a lot of the underbelly of his business and what he does. And um, I think this also gives us some idea about how Vincent has manipulated Tora over the years and trying to make him feel part of the family, but yet at the same time reminding him that he's really not. We It doesn't, doesn't seem like Tora has another family from, you know, at least from this point on. And right. to, to have like this on off on off. Yes, you're part of the family, but no, you're not worth it. Yes, you're not. It's worse, I think, than having nobody. And you, you know, you have a clear relationship established. This is like psychological right. torture. I love it you is. so much. But oh, okay. you for yeah, it's it's definitely it's manipulation at its finest, and like you're saying, it's psychological torture. Right. And one of the things for me, as soon as I read this, so um, the first thought I actually had when reading this was I was like, oh, this is like a trope. You know, you're 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 explaining the the thug's behavior because of the tortured background. But I mean, I should, you know, at, at this one, I know like this unfortunately does happen to, to people. So it's not just like something that you use for drama. But my first right. thought when reading this was like, if I knew that somebody had this background, I would be like, OK, I would be extremely cautious if getting into a relationship with this kind of person. And this is, again, totally tainted yeah. like totally from my own experience because my husband had a pretty abusive background. And we were both we were both unaware of how how much it would affect him as he grew up, as he grew up, whatever. I met him when he was already an adult, but um, none of us could predict how much it would affect him. And um, I now understand that this kind of trauma, especially at, at Torah's age, uh, like a five year old or something like that, uh, I, I'm the the level of emotional health that I see from Torah throughout the rest of the episodes is far more than I would expect based on, based on how he's being treated at this age. Right. Well, right. And and I, it, we'll, we'll find out why later on. Yeah. I don't want to say anything or spoil anything. Yeah. Going forward, we will see other factors that come into his life that I think help that. Right. Yeah. So here we see Torah, you know, Torah is back in the present and he's covering both of his, both of his, uh, his face with both of his hands. <laughs> so sad and he's like you know i'm not scared like hell i'm not and admitting you know he actually i think vocalizes this out loud and you see like the the sweat and like the the huff of breath where he you know just had this really violent act and he himself is like gutted by it yeah and and really this is where we see you know torah is having these flashbacks they're not just memories i mean he's he's physically distraught you can tell and you know of course the first thing that he thinks about after he has that memory is poppy and saying that she dodged a bullet um she has no idea obviously what she's gotten herself into and uh, i think a lot of people initially were confused like what do you mean she dodged a bullet um if you go back earlier into the episode 
we see that Tora has involved himself after distancing himself from clan affairs. And now all of a sudden he's like, okay, I'm in on this. Now I'm going to find this notebook thing for you, but I'm going to make it look like I just got involved for the money. Um, But really, and and we find this out later on that he was going to give it to uh, Martin and his boys. And my guess is that Tora is trying to limit the number of people who know about this notebook, who know what's going on with it because he doesn't want it to get back to Poppy because he knows exactly the type of people that he's in the clan with. He knows exactly the kind of things that they would do to her. You know, that's also why he has that flashback at that point, because that was a point where his innocence was destroyed and he's worried about that for Poppy. Agreed. He does time and again, he's very, very, he's like a a true knight in shining armor. Like he really is very protective of, uh, the, pe- the people underneath him and people who are more innocent and sheltered and more weak than him. Well, I right. see him as a true anti-hero. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you mean by anti-hero? I'm just curious to hear, hear well, you develop an that. An anti-hero and... is someone who does bad things but is a good person. Mm-hmm. He has good motivations. He has a good heart. Um, He may do dark things and he may do bad things, but he has a good heart and he has true motivations. And he has a true north and so Mm -hmm. there are good things within him and he ultimately wants what's best overall morally but he does bad things to get there sometimes right and and i've also noticed that there is this pattern with anti-heroes is that there's an element of lack of choice in a lot of areas sometimes yes like for example the punisher you know i mean he's like a dark dark anti-hero he probably has a choice with some of the extremes that he goes to but he's put in this situation because of what was done to his family because of you know the extremes that the government went to to hurt him and his family because they're trying to kill him so he has to go to these extremes to kind of one get his vengeance and two clear his name and three Mm -hmm. get these bad people out of control but he ultimately is a moral good honorable man but he does bad things he kills people yeah you know but he is a hero yeah and when you belong to an organization like like this clan i mean they don't they don't play like they have rules and structure don't get me wrong but they don't they don't have rules of engagement if that makes sense they don't have this you know there's no tribunal your tribunal is getting your throat slit in Vincent's office. That's what happens. He's judge, jury, and executioner. So you have to, you have to play the game that plays you. And so for Torah, he, he has to do these, uh, these sorts of acts, you know, like he, he beat the crap out of those guys. And ultimately his actions led to their death, but he did it in service of protecting Poppy. Well, yeah, and he has to do it to survive. But I, I truly right. believe that this is not the life he wants. He has no, a, he has not. a heart of morality, and if he could, he would probably get out. But it would he'd probably get killed, you know. So, yeah. you know, I don't think that that's his nature. You know, obviously we saw no. that when he stepped out of the boardroom, he was. I, I think we're seeing some PTSD. You know, oh. and um, yeah, I'm this is not what he myself. wants. 
Right. And it's interesting because you mentioned um, about the shoes. So it shows that Lily shows us that those are brand new shoes. And like you said, Patty, they're white. So he's been distancing himself. He wants to start a new beginning symbolized by those shoes. And as soon as he tries, boom, blood all over them. Back to that way of life. Mm -hmm. No control. Violence once more. Yeah, he gets sucked back into it even when he tries to pull away. Yeah. Man, that reminds me of the line in The Godfather when um, The Godfather tries to go straight in the third movie and he's like, every time I try Mm -hmm. to get out, they pull me back in. Yep. (laughs) Right. And one of the things that, you know, this is something that's going to be a major focus of this whole cartoon and I'm very, very excited to see what is going to happen with this, with Tora trying to get out. Anywho, so back to the cartoon, we see that um, it now goes away from Tora and we're back to Poppy. And Poppy's walking the streets. Yeah. Her jeans are torn. She's wearing Tora's sweatshirt and she looks pooped. She looks very tired. And yeah. you know, she's thinking about all that she has to do. She has a lunch meeting tomorrow with a potential investor. It's late. You know, she's berating herself. Why didn't she think before dashing to the police station? Why am I so impulsive? And then she's just piling on this like guilt and her all of the emotional stress from the day. How am I going to go to bed tomorrow? With all that perverted a hole's fault. Pulling her hair. And she's having this breakdown. I, I, I love how she just has the total meltdown. Like, that was so relatable. Because I know, you know, especially with the week I've had this week, you know, I was that. That was me, Poppy, <laughs> pulling out my hair. Like, what the hell is this life? And and so I think I, that's one of the things I love about Lily is she makes Poppy so relatable. And, and just, you know, she's she's not the perfect little princess. You know, she... she she has emotions. She's sure she stuffs them down, but like at some point you have a breaking point and this was her breaking point. Um, and I find it really funny and I'm going to get a little ahead of myself again, but like she's sitting there admonishing herself for being impulsive. And then she sees this cat in the tree. And what does she do? She's like, Oh, I got to go rescue it. Like how impulsive is that? It's so adorable. Right. And it shows us her very sweet nature. You know, even though she's having a a rough day, she sees this cat, this creature, and she cares about it enough to risk, you know, put herself in danger to rescue it. She's a very sweet person. Yeah. And uh, y'all notice that that cat has yellow rimmed eyes? Oh, oh my are God. you saying <laughs> Yeah. My friend Tiff, she's got this really good theory, and I, I hope I don't butcher it because I wanted to bring it up during the podcast. So kudos to Tiff for this one. But she, during this whole scene where Poppy sees this cat, um, she she was like, "Is this cat Tora?" Symbolic, so she's very- right? Like, is she is she going to rescue him? And the thing that stuck with me here is that you know you got you might have climbed up there on mm-hmm. your own, but you can't get back down on your own. Great. Right? So right. that made me think oh, of yeah. right. So that made me think of Tora in the sense of you you may have gotten yourself in to this clan business. But you can't be the only one helping you get yourself out. Yeah. Then you know, so, then we see she climbs up to rescue it, but then she also needs rescuing herself. So I think that if you're if we're gonna go yeah. along the route, they they both need each other to help each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. Yeah. So. so she's climbing up the tree, right? She sees the branches cracking, and you know she has this determined look on her face, and she says it's been a hot minute since she's climbed the tree, which shows us that she has some child experience with that. And now we pan to Tora. Tora is talking to Gayu, Gayu, Gyu, whatever, everyone pronounces it differently. 
and asking him about the background check. And um, he's, you know, Gaio clearly just said, why don't you ask her? And Tora, again, is responding to something that, you know, everyone knows about him. He's, should I be flattered that you think so highly of my charm? Because Gaio obviously knows that he has a way with the ladies. Yep. And we've seen it. <laughs> And yeah, and then he's he's just telling him, oh, I drove to some random neighborhood to get food, the one with a ton of, and then he like pauses, he's like, cook, cook, cook. That is one of my favorite panels in this whole thing, yeah. when he peeks over and whoop, sees her, he's like, yeah. what on earth? It's so And cute. notice, like, I don't know if this was on purpose, but you know, notice how he's in the dark in that first panel, and then when he sees Poppy, the, the panels mm-hmm. turn warm yes. and bright. <laughs> That is so true. Wow. I love these little observations. Yeah, and, and he... Oh, God. Oh, this one of Poppy climbing the tree. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is like something that's so far out of his world. For somebody to just show concern for an animal is something that shocks him. He's not used to seeing that. Well, and she's right. so pretty. I mean, just look at her with that kitty. Yeah. you can't. You can't help yourself. And I mean, even the panel... Where you you only see her silhouette. That's one of my favorite panels in this comic. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It just you see the city lights in the background and the the tree, and you see the little cat. And I'm like, oh, it's so Beautiful. breathtaking. Love it. I, I just had to fangirl over that for a minute. Um, yeah. and, and this little innocent flip. <laughs> that that's my uh, favorite. Cora has. I love it. Favorite. Oh. And then he drops the grocery bag filled with, come on, ladies, strawberry juice. Yep. <laughs> like, how how childlike and charming is this? You know, right before we we see him find her, he's like, oh, you think so highly of my charm. And then he, he flips around and it's like he's this little kid. I love it. And, you know, Poppy's climbing a tree. These two. And I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be so adorable. I can't wait. <laughs> yep. And it's funny that you mentioned like her being highlighted against the city. You know, we know that she sees herself very much as like a girl from the country, and everyone else mm-hmm. in the city is looking by this cat. They haven't even noticed. It's like a, it's a it's a usual stereotype of like city people being busy and hurried, and she's the one who took notice of this cat and is coming to rescue it. And then, of course, the branch starts cracking. And there's a panel toward Oops. eyes, just looking. And he immediately drops his bag with food. And we see some strawberry juice in there in the bag and runs. You know, she's falling down. He's running, like, really fast. And he's there when, when she falls. His arms are there to catch her. And he catches her. <laughs> like, that that was one of my favorite panels ever. I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so gorgeous. And, like... I don't know. I'm just, I, I usually go for the in-depth analysis and all of that. You guys know I'm a fan of that, but this is just like, it just captures my heart. I have nothing else to say other than that. Yeah. Him was just so heartwarming and um, it, it just was a moment of, I, I don't know how to, else to say it without going too gushing, but it was just purely romantic. Yeah, he doesn't even he doesn't have to think for a second. He's um, drawn to her enough that he, as soon as he sees her falling, he just drops everything instinctively and runs to catch her. I mean, and is then, it weird to say white knight? Right. Absolutely. And then I love like after the whole thing happens, like clearly she came down with enough force to knock him over. Uh, 
<laughs> and she's just like thinking she's in a dream. The cat is just like, hey, thanks for saving me. Bye. And she's like, oh, this is so snuggly. Right. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to know how Tor, because like, obviously we figure out that she's laying on his chest and she's snuggling against his chest. I really want to know how much he was internally screaming as she snuggled <laughs> against his chest because you know he was. Yeah, he's laid out on the ground and she's all splayed out on top of him. And he's probably like, oh my <laughs> God. Actually, isn't it? I didn't. I was wondering about that because I see her point of view is down on the ground, like you see the cat walking away. I didn't quite realize that they had fallen to the ground. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, so she's probably laying on his chest, just like this is great. <laughs> I mean, I know I would feel that way. <laughs> right. Amen. Amen, sister. <laughs> And she's like, oh, I'm in bed. I feel so warm and snuggly. So you know he's like his own space oh heater. Gosh. Wow. <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm, I'm totally going off into gutter mode here. Sorry, guys. Y'all, Tora, how do we help ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> Lily, this is all your fault. <laughs> I will say, I tell my husband and my friends who think I'm obsessed with Tora, I was like, in, like, in all my fantasies, I never, Tora is never mine. Tora is Poppy's. I might go crazy yeah, with Tora and not mine forever. <laughs> yeah, they are adorable. Um, it, it was so funny. She's like, oh, maybe this is the dream. And then the last thing we see is, you're not dreaming. Yes, I know. <laughs> Perfect ending. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, man. That was such a good cliffhanger, especially like, I have to say, like, the one thing that made me so glad that this was included in this episode, the one with Vincent, is that we ended on a high note. Yes. Um, we needed that relief and that release. Like, it was just because it was really intense early on. And I think that just speaks to Lily's writing abilities and her story flow so much. Like, she knows when we need relief. Well, she's so good at pace. And I have mm -hmm. to say, I mean... I've read a lot of webtoons and she invests in her story yes. and she pours so much life into each episode. And so, yeah, sometimes they might be late, but I would rather wait and get this quality than um, not, you know, I mean, she's oh, incredible. Amen. Amen to that. I don't care if I have to be up till like two, three o'clock in the I'll morning. Wait. I will wait. I will wait. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, goodness. So this, it was such a good episode. Like I just, I love going back and rereading these and, you know, looking at it with new and fresh eyes. I know I said this last time, but it's just a different experience every time. Mm -hmm.